Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving higher time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving higher. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. Markets with Sean Hackett. This edition of Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, Go to axontire.com. Sean, are you uh are you a big fan of of work gloves? Um, I am a big fan of work gloves. The one time out of the year that I'm doing something physically oriented. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, I've got a deal for you. You send an email. When I, when I, when I was a kid, I used to uh-huh. split wood all the time and you know get the piles up before the winter time and mm. those those gloves you know and the axe and the whole thing so i mean i i definitely can appreciate a pair of gloves i just not as physical as i used to be but you don't have to chop I, wood in the summer for the winter in florida you have to do that <laughs> <laughs> um i could chop wood but uh need a, need, need a fireplace to do it <laughs> yeah yeah you don't have like the fire pit out back I do actually, I do actually have a fire. I I actually like real fire and Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, according to me, Mm -hmm. according to me, you know, sixties and fifties is cold. Um, I do appreciate a fire, you know, when it gets blustery down here in the fifties and sixties, it's, it's, you know, keeps me warm and definitely appreciate it. I got the park and, uh, and the uh, ear covers there, ear muffs. So you can stay, you don't get frostbite down there. You know, got the, they got the turtleneck. Oh yeah. You know, got the head thing for your ears, you know, All that sort of thing. So I, I got it all down. And of course, I have to have all that stuff when I go up into the yeah. north in the wintertime and it's minus 20. I still need to have all the heavy gear, which I still have for my right. days being in the northeast. So I, I can get into it if I need to. Well, lucky thing for you, Sean, is on those cold, blustery days down in Florida and you're sitting out back enjoying <laughs> the ambiance of the air, send an email to marketingaxontire.com. They'll send you a free pair of deerskin work gloves just for your precious little hands. That way it keeps them warm and blister free. There you go. So look at that. Right on. Just tell them that the Moving Iron Podcast sent you and send that yes. email to marketingaxontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. 
And no matter how you buy your ag equipment from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. Tractor Zoom has over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. Tractor Zoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. Lastly, this this podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. Their Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work today. All right, Sean is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida, and uh, he's nice enough to talk about what's going on in the marketplace a couple times a week. So, Sean, how are you doing this morning? I'm really, really good. Never better and enjoying, uh, like I said, enjoying this uh, initial cool down here in Florida from uh, six straight months of 92 degrees. So. Yeah, it's uh, it's been nice. We've gotten some some cooler weather. I think right now we've, I think this whole week, I think the high, the hottest day is 73. I think in the rest of the week, it kind of falls into that upper 60s, you know, mornings are high 40s, you know, type of type of weather. So um, it's been a, a, the last three weeks have just been a slow creep into what I would consider to be true fall weather. And we've got that now. So it's uh, another thing too, you know, we've, you, you talked about this a lot in your last report that came out talking about the switch from um, the La Nina to El Nino and what that looks like. And we've talked about that, you know, a lot here on the podcast, but we are seeing a wet pattern a wetter pattern start coming through our neck of the woods. We've had um, in our general vicinity out here in the, in the Paint Hill in Nebraska, we've had, you know, I think six or eight nights of at least somebody around here got, got some rain and not just a, you know, not just a dusting of rain, but it was, it was a nice, you know, 10th, you know, two tenths type of a rain on, on a regular basis. So we are starting to see a, a, a more wet pattern start go through, going through our area. Well, and, we try to describe the idea that even though technically La Nina is still with us for a little while longer, that you'll start to see these El Nino um, patterns starting to show up in various parts of the world before even you get the official, you know, sign that La Nina is gone. And that that's what happens when you get in the, the late second year sure. of a La Nina, you, you start to get a change before the change is actually evident in the sea surface temperatures. And like, Always try. Everyone, everyone thinks that it's just a switch you turn on and off, and it really isn't. It's a transition, and all, most of the time, you will get El Nino reverberations before the actual designation that El Nino is with us. And I think we're starting to see a little bit of that. And as time goes on, you'll get more and more of that. And then somewhere, as we get into the first, second quarter, twenty-three, you're going to get we are in El Nino. You know, you're going to get right. the designation that we're there, and you're going to see all these wonderful red temperatures in the Central Pacific, but Definitely, we're starting to see some changes. Look at Brazil; all kinds of rainfall yeah. uh, so far this year. And you know, last year they didn't have anything at all. So, you know, some places still hanging on to some London wet weather. But but the point the, the the point is definitely getting a more bifurcated weather pattern than just hardcore lightning like we had last year. Right. So. If La Nina El Nino were a light switch. Um, it would just be stuck in one place if my kids were controlling it because they can only turn it on. They can't turn it off. So it's awesome. Good times. All right. Let's talk about wheat for a second here. Um, we've seen some reports come out of Russia and we've seen some reports obviously come out of Ukraine about what's going on there. Sounds like Russia's having a hard time getting some of their key uh, growing areas of wheat planted uh, this fall for a lot of different reasons. One, one being it's too wet and others being just 
lack of manpower, fighting war and those kind of things. We're seeing reports come out of Ukraine that their wheat seeding is behind from where it was a year ago, which shocker, you know, you would expect that. I guess looking at where we're at now in the U.S. with the dryness that we see in, in, in the wheat belt of the U.S., coupled with, you know, Putin's painted pretty clear that the uh, the November um, time frame for these different uh, portals being open so they can, or corridors being open so they can run uh, wheat uh, cargoes and those kind of things, grain cargoes out of the Black Sea. Uh, sounds like that's going to close here pretty rapidly. What are your thoughts on wheat and how do we see, how do you see that developing here going through the end of the year? And we put a lot of weather, we've put a lot of Russia premium back on, I mean, we were down, what, seven and a half? Yeah. On uh, Chicago board trade wheat, you know, now we're at, you know, near nine and a half or nine, nine and a half. So, you know, we've put a $2 on Casey and we, and we had kind of warned that, you know, we, we turned pretty favorable. We late July into early August, as you know, mm-hmm. um, we saw good value there at nine and a half, you know, could see 10. I don't know. I'm not terribly excited about the price needing to do more. I'm not, I'm sure, you know, I don't think we're the only ones that think that maybe this, uh, corridor deal is going to break down and um, and maybe halt things, but they have shipped a lot of product out, Casey. I mean, quite frankly, a lot more product than most people thought they were going to do in the entire year, and they've already done it. So I, I kind of feel we're at a point where most, you know, unless Russia escalates this by, you know, there's a lot of fear over nuclear weapons being used by Russia, and you know, should that happen, and you know, it throws that whole region into a, an escalating chaotic period you know that could be a a new accelerant to higher wheat prices and fear over that sort of thing but absent that i think most of the upside in wheat let's say this nine and a half to ten dollar upside target i think it's factored most of it in and i think unless we get a further escalation it's going to be about you know weather you know how's the weather going to play out how's how are what conditions is the winter wheat crop going to go into dormancy What, what what does it look like um, and then, of course, determining, as you said, how much we get planted. And the U.S. is so far, they've been getting just enough rains and just enough areas to keep the planting. Uh, I think we just saw the planting here yesterday that, you know, it's moving along pretty well. Um, once again, you can plant it, but what kind of sta- you know, what kind of conditions are you going to have going into dormancy? Uh, we'll have to see. But but there is enough rainfall is starting to fall that up to this point, the worst case scenario has not played out yet there. And, and quite frankly, I hope it doesn't. I hope we get enough an, enough of the crop in in enough good conditions so we at least have the potential for a big crop. Remember, if we have El Nino conditions, Casey, in the spring when we come out of dormancy, we have the prospects for a very big wheat crop. Um, so, you know, we have to keep that in the back of our mind that we should have very good moisture. We shouldn't have a late ending winter. You know, we should have a really good, we should have a favorable spring so that any wheat that's planted that comes out in good shape you know, we, should, we have big potential there let's put it that way so. right okay all right so looking at where we're at with uh crop progress and those kind of things um you know corn is is right on pace where it's been as far as as harvest goes and 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 where it should be at as maturity goes you're looking at um 52 of it's good to to average um last week it was 52 percent. those numbers have kind of settled in there um you haven't seen a big drop since probably a couple weeks ago as to how how those are playing out same as soybeans i mean you're seeing kind of right where they're from maturity level and harvest and those kind of things everything's pretty close to where it should be again the 
the uh, uh, overall condition rating, those kind of things have stayed the same from where they were the week before. Looking at that, Sean, do you feel like we've hit that point where we kind of know what we're going to have in those crops moving forward and, and we can start kind of making some pretty good guesses coming into this October report? I think so. Yeah, I mean, the quarterly grain stocks report came out, you know, on Friday right. and they knocked down the uh, corn ending stocks about 200 million bushels, which they needed to do. They were, they've been too high for a long time. But I think we're, we're I think the market is settling in with the idea that we had a good crop, wasn't big enough. We're not really going to have, you know, anything left over in ending stocks and we're going to need to you know, have a, a big crop down in South America to get us over the hump and hopefully have a good crop next year as El Nino kicks in. So I think the market is pretty much well. Remember, corn got down to like 560, 570 at the early August lows. So we put a, you know, a dollar 20 up based upon the crops. Okay, but not great. Ending stocks, not building much. Kind of, deal. I think we've done most of what we're going to do there. So once again, like we, it's all about South American weather now. And so far, Brazil looks fantastic. Argentina, not as good. But I think when it comes to the corn uh, and soybeans, the market's really king on Brazil. I mean, they're the big dog when it comes to exports for corn, and they're the big dog when it comes to exports for soybeans. So long as um, Brazil's looking good going into the end of the year, you know, I think the market has done enough. And uh, and corn might just spend time developing more of a sideways trading pattern, maybe somewhat of a downswing pattern as some of this harvest, you know, gets sold into the marketplace and that sort of thing. I do think when we look at demand, everywhere I look, there's less feeding animal feeding units for the next crop cycle. We know the cattle herd here in the U.S. is down. We know we're not growing the hog herd here from the hogs and pigs report we got out last week. We know there's been mass herd liquidation in hogs and cattle in uh, Europe because of the drought that they had. We know China just completed a massive herd liquidation cycle in hogs. So everywhere I look, Casey, I don't see significant growth in feed demand. In fact, I see feed demand going down, especially at these higher prices. They're not going to fatten these animals up. Um, they're going to try to use less. They're going to try to use alternatives. Um, and, the, and if you look at the uh, the ethanol trends you know our ethanol production and our, our consumption of corn for ethanol keeps declining so so with all that in place you know i i just think we're in, a, in the you know the corn market has done all it needs to do for now and it's hard for me to see significant upside here um until we get into december when the market really starts to determine what kind of crop production we're looking at until then i don't see whether really being able to get ourselves over the hump unless like i said Russia does something stupid and we get a you know crazy escalation and wheat takes off and takes corn with it. I mean, that to me, that's the only thing that I can see right now that really would juggernaut corn and wheat prices substantially higher than they are right now is that you need something from, I don't see whether I'll, I'm being able to do that right now. So. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, when you look at what they're doing with their annexation of those uh, four oblasts in <clears throat> those four oblasts in Ukraine, um, I mean, now any any movement by Ukraine in that area is going to be basically well, they're they're attacking Russia. You know what I mean? So it's even a it's a bigger deal now, and, and I think, like you said, they've doubled down on that. So barring something totally um, 
extravagant happening over there. It, you're, you're right. It's going to take something spectacular to, to move the market further. Well, we're going to, we just, we, you know, that's going to be an ongoing thing, Casey. It's kind of mm-hmm. like the trade war at some point. We just accept sure. that's what it is. Yep. We decide how much premium we need to have. We took it off. We put it back on. But I really think you know, we just need we just need to have some big crops. We need the U.S. specifically. You know, we've had two years we just have not been able to produce a big wheat crop. We need to have a big winter wheat crop. Uh, if we do that, whatever happens over there should uh, be contained. And um, you know, we we do know Russia had a big crop this year. I think you know some of the estimates are up there around 100 million metric tons, 95 million metric tons. Right. From some of the sharper guys out there that that. that measure the crop. And so, you know, they had a monster crop and that is offsetting a lot of the reduced output and reduced exports out of Ukraine, despite the fact that they've gotten some product out with a quarter deal. So it's a mixed bag. I think it was justified to put some Russia premium back on, but I don't, you know, like I said, I don't think it's justified to do much more than uh, the, unless we just aren't able to grow you know, unless we just have problems with the winter wheat crop coming out of dormancy next spring, but that's a long time from now to then. And because, you know, last winter we were worried about um, a polar vortex winter, sure. um, the negative quasi-band oscillation causing a lot of weakening of the polar vortex and these dives down that you can get a lot of winter kill. We don't see that being as big a risk. We have a positive QBO this year, which tends to, keep the polar vortex much more stronger, more intact, less potential for weakening. And that means it doesn't mean you can't have cold weather. It just means that extreme cold weather, those big dives, those big polar vortex events that create that winter kill, I I think that's not going to be as, you know, the probabilities of that are much lower this year. So I don't think we're going to get a lot of that worry as we had last year. And so that should keep the wheat market from worrying as much about that potential as they have the last couple of winters when we've had a lot of these polar vortex events. Yep. So. One more thing let's take a look at, at what you think. To, I guess two things. One is you got some natural gas um, situations. Obviously, um, when you're looking at um, what's happening in Europe with Russia shutting off the, uh, well, the sabotage of the Nord Stream pipeline, I mean, take that for what it's worth. And then you've got, um, yeah, China buying, yeah, China buying U.S. natural gas and then selling it back to the Europeans at a at just massive profits. So you're looking at it from that perspective, and then you start looking at how the dollar plays in all this with its with its continued strengthening. I guess looking at those things from a from an overall marketplace. Start with natural gas first. We've seen we've seen a rise there, and we've seen the pricing of that take off and run, and, and even more so now. Um, like you talked about last time, we, we've hit kind of a saturation point with our ability to produce natural gas. I mean, it, it is what it is, and those markets are going to continue to stay tight going into 23. Is, is there a point in time when the natural gas price just gets to be people just bidding it up so they can get that supply of natural gas? Is that do you see that happening to where you know, hey, I know the market says it's, it's you know forty dollars or whatever right now, but I'll give you fifty just to make sure I get it. Do you think something like that'll start coming down the pipeline? Well, I think over time <clears throat> the U.S. price is going to uh, move towards the international price, meaning the more our export capacity grows, you know, over the next five to ten years, and the more we can export, the more our price becomes an international price. It's always been a domestic price. 
We're starting to connect, but we don't have enough export capacity to totally connect. But this move from like two dollars, mm-hmm. almost almost ten, was the first sign that we're starting to connect with the international price. But it's going to take time to get more capacity, more export capacity to come online, more LNG facilities. But over time, we're going to continue to move towards <clears throat> international price. We can grow production here. We will grow production here with prices this high. Um, and it seems the world uh, has accepted the fact that maybe they've gone a little too quickly <laughs> on this uh, no fossil fuel over to, you know, uh, some other energy source that has yet to be determined. Um, and and they, f- they view natural gas as the bridge energy source to buy time until that energy source is found, whether it's hydrogen cells or fuel cells or whatever the, the next iteration is. Um, when I look at natural gas and crude oil, there's a couple of things that I think about as we move into the end of the year. First is, remember the LNG terminal, the Freeport terminal that got shut down because of the fire mm-hmm. that took all that export capacity, that backed up supplies, is kept LNG depressed or our price more depressed than it would otherwise have been. We're in the shoulder season. We're not too hot. We're not too cold, meaning we're using the least amount of natural gas, as we always do in September, October. That allows for big injections in the storage. I think last week we injected over 101 um, you know, into storage, which is a, which is a big injection month. So uh, that's depressing the price. We're down to six and a half, 680, down from nine and change. But last time I checked, you know, winter is coming. And we will begin the drawdown cycle. Usually it begins sometime late in October, early November. And the LNG Freeport export terminal is going to come fully back online uh, by the end of the year. So with that fully back online and with you, with you just said, obviously, Europe is not going to be getting any major natural gas from Russia anytime soon. Uh, they're going to need every bit of that LNG export to keep themselves going. So I think that the uh, natural gas market is setting up for an interesting um, opportunity here for for physical buyers, Casey. I just think, you know, this, I I don't know how low we'll go, you know, natural gas is very, very volatile, but I think this period from now into the end of October, while LNG, the export terminal still offline, and while we still don't have a lot of demand, there's an opportunity here for physical buyers of natural gas to get get gas on the cheap so if i was a if i'm a physical buyer of lng if i'm a physical buyer of propane a derivative of natural gas you know if i'm a buyer of uh, if i'm a fertilizer plant that needs natural gas to make fertilizer you know, i just think mm-hmm. there's an opportunity here because i don't think the natural gas price can withstand or stay down in this let's say five and a half to six and a half area once we get into the winter time and that freeport exports fire back on. I, I just don't think this is going to a sustainable level. Now getting to crude oil, we've talked about this before. There's been a campaign to depress the crude oil price, which then depresses the diesel price, which then depresses the gasoline price uh, ahead of the elections. We've been dumping SPR onto our market week after week, day after day, hour after hour to pressure the market. Uh, I could see no political reason why they would continue that strategy 
once the elections are over and whoever won, won, whoever lost, lost, you know, there would be no political reason to do it anymore. And so I think they're going to stop that. And when they stop that, all that supply that that is artificial, not artificial, it's real supply, but it's not production supply, evaporates. And then you have to deal with real supply that's actually produced out of wells and real demand. Um, so if, if, if we've been dumping this SPR at a time that demand is slowing down, economic recession is here, almost here, going to be here, whatever the case is, and we haven't been able to really break substantially below $80 a barrel for any length of period of time, what's going to happen when we stop SPR and that supply just evaporates? Um, and we get into the wintertime, you know, wintertime, heating oil demand goes up because of colder weather. I, I, I think there's going to be a need for this market to recalibrate higher, to actually go to a price level that actually reflects real supply and real demand, not artificial dumping of strategic petroleum reserve. I'm not smart enough to know what the number is, Casey, of exactly what that number should be, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's 80. Maybe I don't think it's 150, <clears throat> but it's it's something considerably higher. So once again, if I'm a physical buyer of diesel, heating oil, if I'm a physical buyer of gasoline, if I'm a physical buyer of crude, for any reason, energy needs, I think this next, once again, this next 30 days leading into the election offers a pretty good opportunity to get, get yourself, you know, tightened and buttoned up here at a level that's still not great historically, but from where we were, it's a significant discount. So I really think, and by the way, you know, we're not energy experts, we're ag experts, but I I think that thesis, at least to us, makes a lot of sense. And I think for those that are listening that are in the need for energy, I think there's, I think that's a a pretty good outlook on what I think is going to happen. Kind of a, a boomerang effect for both markets as we get past the elections and into December and beyond, I think there's there's potential for a boomerang up in energy markets for those for all those reasons and and maybe reasons that we don't even know yet that they're about to come out. So, yep, yep, I agree. All right, Sean, good stuff as usual, folks. Want to reach out to you and get more information about what it is you're doing over at Hackett Financial? What's the best way to do that? Our website is Hackett H A C K E T T Advisors dot com. We have lots of podcasts and sample reports and white papers that discuss more about what we do, how we make our price forecast, how we look at weather cycles to see if that kind of information might help your listeners um, and, and be of value to them. Right on. Okay. Appreciate you being the podcast, man. Thanks, Casey. Always glad to be here. Right on. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. Also, Moving Iron Podcast on LinkedIn and the ever so cleverly named Moving Iron Podcast YouTube YouTube channel. If you want to see the video version of this podcast, check that out there. Moving Iron LLC has everything Moving Iron related, plus all the information for the Moving Iron Summit coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, September 11th through the 13th of 2023. If you're interested in getting some information about that, hit me up and I can get you what little bit of information I have. But by the first year, the uh, actual um, full-blown agenda will be up there for everyone to take a look at. Also, if you're interested in doing that, use use Axon at uh, checkout there when you go through the registration process, and uh, they will help you save 50 bucks. So Axon has stepped up and said they were going to help everyone make save 50 bucks on their registration fee. So check that out if you're interested in doing that. Take advantage of that because that's for the first 150 people that get involved in that. So with that, I am Casey Seymour and 
Sean Hackett's going to be smart, folks. Out. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hard work.